like to say we thank you for coming this morning. Uh, this is a very interesting story. It is a very interesting message. And there are very powerful principles that come from this story. Most of you know that we've been talking about the importance of the book of Mark since the first of the year. And uh, some of the things that we talked about was how that Mark wrote to the Gentiles, not necessarily to the Jews. And how that we as a church need to move from the walls of the church outside of the church and understand how to reach people. And it's, it's important that we understand the scripture. It's important that we understand what it says. As most of you know that we've been talking about, number one, the observation of the Scripture, the interpretation of the Scripture, and the application of the Scripture. The observation, the interpretation, and the application. What it says, what it means, what it means to me. What does it say? What does it mean, and what it means to me? Observation, interpretation, and application. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please uh, raise your hand and Brother Junior will make sure that you get an outline. If you do not have one, we want you to have one. You that do read with me the introduction, the plan was to trap Jesus in chapter 7, and we go back the chapter before of course, chapter 8. In chapter 7, the religious leaders sent officers to arrest him, Jesus. But they returned saying, no man ever spoke like this man. They were jealous because Jesus was drawing a crowd and drawing that crowd away from them. And so they sent the temple guards, the temple guards, not the Roman guards, but the temple guards in chapter 7, they were sent to arrest Jesus. And Jesus was teaching, and those guards, the people that went to arrest him, began to listen. They could not arrest Jesus, and they came back empty-handed, and the religious leaders wanted to know, why did you not arrest him? No man ever spoke like this man. And so the next day, in chapter 8, they bring this woman caught in adultery. They wanted to trap Jesus between the law of Moses and the law of the Romans. And this is what we want to get into, is to get into this scene, this cruel scheme that was hatched by the religionists of that day. The law of Moses said that she was to be stoned. She was to be killed. The Roman law said the Jewish people could not kill anyone themselves. It had to be the Romans. And so if he said, kill her, they would have taken him to the Romans. If he would have said, let her go, then... In their opinion and in their mind, he would have snubbed the law of Moses. So they thought they had him. I mean, they've been trying to catch him in a snare, in a trap, 
the whole time. And they said, boy, we've got him now. But there's one thing about it. You don't get Jesus. You can get a lot of people, but you don't get Jesus. Uh, And it's a very, very, very interesting story. Read with me, beginning with verse 1 of John John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down. Notice his position. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, notice that, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first or throw a stone at her first. Understand this law was written in Deuteronomy. And the law was written in the way that said, the witness or the person that witnessed the crime or this scene was supposed to be the one to cast the first stone. They had to lead the way in stoning this woman. That's the reason that Jesus said, let him cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he had been riding on the ground. Now, that word right is interesting in the fact The religionists, they were very deceitful in what they were doing. They meant, as I said, to trap Jesus, and yet Jesus did not respond to them. He simply stooped and wrote on the ground. In the Greek, it means to write against, or it means down or cast down. The theory is that Jesus stooped down, took his finger, the only time it's recorded that he wrote anything, and he wrote in the sand. The theory is that he wrote their sins on the ground. Now, we don't know that, but the Greek word insinuates that he was writing their sin on the ground. And he said, you, you without sin cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them. This is an important verse. I originally left this verse out, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? Have what? The light of life. Notice 
the outline. First of all, we have a condemned sinner. Now, she was caught in the very act of adultery. She was jerked up. She probably did not have time to dress. They drug her before mainly a male crowd. And they threw her down in front of Jesus. And here lay this woman, guilty. Here lay this woman, undressed. Here lay this woman, naked. Here lay this woman, embarrassed. And they thought, as I said, that they had him. Her shame, they set her in the mist. She was guilty. They knew she was guilty. Jesus knew she was guilty. She knew she was guilty. Her sin, her shame, the sentence that was placed upon her, the law said she deserved to die. He said, what a predicament. Did you know every one of us fall before the Lord? Every one of us come before the Lord guilty. Every one of us should die. There's not a one ever born that should not die because we are born in sin and we commit sin and we live in sin and we practice sin. So it's not just this woman, but it's all of us. Not only was this a condemned sinner, but a strong conviction. First of all, Jesus ignored him. I love this story. I just love it. He stoops down and he writes on the ground. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Can you imagine what she's thinking? Can you imagine what the crowd, what the crowd is thinking? He's simply writing on the ground. Second of all, he exposes them. You without sin cast the first stone. He knew they were sinners. If they said, if he said stoner, then they would have known his teaching that he's been teaching thus far is not kosher. It's, it's, it's a forest. If he said, had said, let her go, then he was against the law, the, the Torah against the law of Moses. But he exposed them in saying, you without sin cast the first stone. Not only did he ignore them, not only did he expose them, but they all walk away in shame, beginning with the oldest man and ending with the youngest. You know, the hardest thing in the world to face is your own sin. But what he did, he held a mirror up in front of them, and they saw themselves, and they were so guilty until they turned and they walked away. Number three, a great cleansing. She was cleansed through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from most of our sin. Huh? Aren't you glad it said all? Aren't you glad it said all of our sins? You said, Pastor, I've been too mean. I've been too sinful. I've been so far away from God. I've said this. I've said that. I felt this way. I felt that way. I don't know if God can forgive me. Hear me. He can and he will forgive you of all your sins. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. There's no condemnation. I love Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ and who and do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Not only was this woman forgiven, but she was cleansed and she was without condemnation because Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Notice number four. Jesus did not condemn her, nor did he condone her sin. First of all, he didn't condemn her. She confessed him as Lord. As we read through this text, she said, no one, Lord. She confessed him as Lord. This sinful, ungodly, caught in the act of adultery woman was forgiven and she experienced what everyone will experience if they ask Christ to forgive and that is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the grace of a heavenly father. Thank God he forgives us today. But then he didn't let her off the hook. Now, a lot of people like this scripture because Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. And, and, and there's the accusation that Christians, no matter what the sin might be, are people of condemnation. All they know is to condemn. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's pride, whether it's homosexuality, whatever the sin might be, we are considered at times as those who condemn and we should never, never condemn anyone. Jesus didn't. No matter what they do, no matter what they're involved in, no matter their lifestyle, don't condemn them. But Jesus did not let her off the hook. Jesus did not compromise. He neither condemned nor did he condone. He said, go and sin no more. The fruit of her experience was a changed lifestyle. I looked at about 13 or 14 different translations of this 11th verse. But I want you to notice what the NIV, the New International Version says. I like this, verse 11 of chapter 8. He says, where art thou accusers, or who are who is accusing you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus says in all the other translations, go and sin no more, he's not advocating anybody living a perfect life. He's not saying that man can live without sinning. Well, that lets me off the hook, Pastor, because I sure do sin a lot. (laughs) I'm a sinner, and I know I'm a sinner. You know, you hear this all the time. There's a song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, everyone sins. But he's not talking about perfection, as I said, a life of perfection. It's not sinless, but it's sinless. 
It's not sinless, but it's sinless. And that's what he's saying. There, there is a, a uh, misunderstanding of this subject. And so many people do not understand. If he's saying, go and sin no more, he means to sin no more. But when you understand what he's saying, you understand the uh, whole Bible and the Scripture it makes perfect sense. And I want to read from, I have the Amplified Bible here, and I, I love this translation of it. It's in First John chapter 3. It's a little wordy, but follow me. Don't, don't go to sleep on me. Here we go. Everyone who commits, practices sin, is guilty of lawlessness. For that is what sin is, lawlessness. The breaking, violation of God's law by transgression or neglect, being unrestrained and unregulated by his commandments and his will. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in visible form and became man to take away upon himself sins. And in him there is no sin essentially and forever. No one who abides in him, verse 6, who lives and remains in communion with with and in obedience to him. Now, here it is. Deliberately, knowingly, habitually commits, practices sin. There is a difference in us being saved, receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, trying to live a perfect, sinless life, And then when we come to Jesus, and the difference is, and when we come to Jesus Christ, we understand that we make mistakes, that we do sin, but we don't live a lifestyle of sin. We don't practice sin. We don't knowingly, premeditatingly go out to sin. And there's a big difference in that. And he goes on to say, In verse, well, let's go down to verse 8. But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing is of the devil, takes his character from the evil one, and the devil, for the devil has sinned, violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen, dissolve the works the devil has done. Notice verse 9, and I'll end with verse 9. No one be born or begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. For God's nature abides in him. His principle of life, the divine sperm, remains permanently within him. And he cannot practice sinning because he is born or he is begotten of God. That sperm, that seed that is placed, that spiritual seed that is placed within man is alive. But that seed must grow. And that plant, say it's, say it's a, 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 a corn. You plant a seed of corn. You don't see it. It's in the ground, but it's growing. It first of all has to die, and then it grows. 
It's not a tall, strong stalk overnight. It takes time. And that's the same way it is when we come to Jesus Christ, accept him as our personal Savior. We are young in the Lord. And God, you see, the only way that that corn, that little blade of corn is going to live if it's cultivated, if it's worked at, if it's tended to. And the only way that a believer is going to serve God that if they grow in the grace of God through and by the knowledge of the word of God and through and by the spirit of God, that person, that man, that woman, that young person begins to grow in Christ and they begin to mature in the Lord. Many of your young person has come to the Lord and they know Jesus Christ forgave them. And yet they find if they had a habit of profanity, they will use that uh, uh, an ungodly word and the devil will tell them, you never got saved. That's not true. Because I believe when a person really is born again and they sin or disobey God, that they're convicted and then and right then that they will say, Father, forgive me, I'm sorry. And they won't continue to do that. They grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at number four. Not a life that was perfect, but a life that no longer practiced sin. Now I just read it into your hearing. Let's look at number five as we end this. Speaking to a guilty culture. My main goal in preaching for 2015 has been to help us as a church that we'll be able to go out from this facility, that we'll be able to go out of this Sunday study, and that we will be able to take what we have and to give it to others. We are to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be a testimony to, for what God has done in our lives. And so as we look at this number five, here are some lessons that we learn. First of all, you may say, Pastor, I, I, I talk to people all the time, or I am able to either minister to people, witness to people, and how do you do it? How do you deal with the sin? How do you do what Jesus Christ did? Not only condemn that person, but not condone the practice, their lifestyle. How do you do that? What do you do? I don't want to be offensive. And yet, I don't want to compromise. How do you do it? Notice number one under number five. You speak the truth. In love. That's the answer. That's the way to do it. You say, well, that would be offensive, the truth of God. Well, you don't use the truth like a weapon. Some, some church people, they go around, they, they, they're self-righteous, they're holy, and they use the truth as a weapon. But God, you shouldn't do that. That's the reason that uh, Matt is saying, don't go to this parade using the truth as a weapon. You go with the love of Jesus Christ. I love what I put here. 
uh, to speak love without truth enables the other person's behavior and justifies their wrong actions and permits it to, king, to continue. What you do, you speak the truth. You have the love of Jesus Christ in you. You see, the Pharisees, when they brought this woman to Jesus, they did not speak the truth in love. And the church today, if we're not careful, we fail to speak the truth in love. But when you speak the truth in love, it affects and, and convicts and changes people's lives. And so we are to speak the truth in love, not well the truth as a weapon ready to destroy an individual. Number four, in a world filled with darkness, the believer shines forth with the light of life. I am the light of the world. That's the reason I wanted to read that 12th verse. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If I had time, I'd read the rest of that chapter, the eighth chapter. Jesus is talking to the, 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 the religious leaders of that day, and he talks about being a witness. Talking about being a witness. And they said, who's your witness? Who's your witness? Is it Mother Teresa? No, they didn't say that. Is it Billy Graham? Is it the Pope? Who's your witness? He said, I'll tell you who my witness is. I love this. It's the Father. Now, you can't call a greater witness than God Almighty. He said, my father is a witness. And he said, and it's important that you and I, are, we are able to understand that God has placed us here not to use truth as a weapon, but to speak the truth, not to condemn, neither to condone. Well, you speak the truth in love. And we are to let our light shine just like Jesus is saying here in the eighth chapter of the book of St. John. We are to let our light shine. It is very, very important. Carol and I have had a special week. It's been a very, very good week in several ways. First of all, we celebrated our 52nd wedding anniversary. That deserves a clap. As most of you know, Carol has been taking treatments or having treatments for well over a year. And this past Thursday was her last chemotherapy treatment. Praise God. So I wanted, I didn't get a chance or I did not celebrate that much. Uh, well, we did go to Conkeys. I love Conkeys. I just, and we went all out. We, we, it was $50 bill. I mean, it was, it, we celebrated. And when the waitress came by, I said, ma'am, I'm, we're ready to go. I'll take my ticket. She said, sir, someone has already taken and paid your bill. I said, wow, $50, wow. But then Friday the next day, I said, I really want to honor Carol. And she was somewhere doing something. And so I went to Kroger's 
and got some flowers and got her a card. And while I was standing there getting flowers, this lady that, that knew me, she came up and said, what are you doing? Are you in the doghouse and you got to get flowers? I don't know why they think when men get flowers in the doghouse. I said, no, and I told her what was going on. And then she said, oh, wow. I said, no, we're celebrating our 52nd anniversary. And my wife took her last chemo, uh, chemo uh, therapy treatment. And uh, so I just wanted to get flowers. And so I had this beautiful uh, vase of flowers, of flowers and uh, this card. And I wanted to take her to one of the most swanky places that I could take her to. So I took her to Elmo's. <laughs> and when I went, Carol was not there yet. So when I went in, I said, ma'am, I want a table away from everybody else. And so she did. They carried me up the stair there and set me over in the corner where nobody was there. And I said, uh, then when Carol came in, I had the flowers and the card. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about Elmo's or not, but it's, it's different. Ninth Street's different. It's just, I mean, that whole area is just different. And when Carol came in and sat down, the waitress came back. I said, ma'am, now I want the, I want the lights dimmed low. And I'm not asking for a whole lot, but could you have someone with a violin to come over and stand next to the table and play? She said, you do know where you're at, don't you? You're at Elmo's. I said, yeah, I know. But I, tell, I told you that to tell you this. Thursday, Carol witnessed to those people that she's been sitting there with and taking those treatments. And she left that whole area, the doctor's office, the, the, all of them were crying. And she testified to the grace of God and the keeping power and the healing power of God. So, well, she had to go through all those treatments. Well, she did wonderful. And she did fine. She stood there and talked to that waitress before she sat down, and the waitress just started boohooing. At Elmo's, swanky Elmo's, she just started booing. The next thing we knew, the, 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 the manager came out. She came out, and she was just crying. And we told them about the grace and the goodness of God. And then I noticed behind the counter, there's about 10 that work there, just busy as bees. They'd peep around the corner and just look. It's, I mean, it, it just ricocheted throughout that whole restaurant. It wasn't a swanky place. It, 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 was, it was just a restaurant. But you could almost feel the presence of God in Elmo's. It's important that we understand that no matter the lifestyle 
of a person, an individual. God loves them. And God didn't put me here to point my finger at anybody or anyone. That's the reason that Dean and Matt and all the rest and the whoever's is going to be so important at this parade because none of them are going to go pointing their finger. They're not going to condemn, neither will they condone. But if God opens the door, they will be a witness. They'll let their light shine. And isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what all this is about? We come, we sing, and we have a wonderful time, and we fellowship, we hug each other, we laugh a lot. And the Spirit of God moves. But isn't it all, all about taking this, knowing what to do, knowing what not to do, leaving this place, going out into the world the next day, the next week, and allowing the love of Jesus Christ and the light that he gives. It is a beautiful light. It is a wonderful life. Oh, there's nothing like serving God. Can you imagine this woman that was drugged before this crowd, thrown down to the feet of the people, condemned, knowing that she was to be stoned and looking around and seeing in everyone's hand a rock, a big rock, ready, waiting for him to give the word. You know, it's so easy to point our fingers at somebody else. It's so easy for us to pick up rocks of slander, rocks of unforgiveness, it's so easy for us to pick up rocks of, of hate and bitterness. You said, preacher, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. You don't know how they treated me. Listen, there's nothing worth housing bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'm not about to pick up rocks and throw them at my brothers and sisters or anybody else. But we want to tell about the love of Jesus Christ. This woman's life, Carol's life has been such a testimony. It is since she's gone through. Listen, do we want to go through this? No. But we don't have to let life make us bitter. One of the saddest things, and I can say this because I am old. To see old people become so bitter. And they get this, this frown on their face. That, that's why you see old people. I, I see. I'm sorry. Ashley said the other day. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Ashley said the other day. Thank you. Uh, she said the other day. She said, Nana, you and Papa are always going and doing and going and doing. You're not like so, and she named, I didn't want to name anybody, but she said, you're not like other other grandmamas and granddaddies. Listen, I know 
I know sickness can bring us down. I know sickness can cripple us physically and mentally. I know that. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And that means life at 13. It means life at 74 years old. You might say, well, preacher, you, 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 you just haven't met yours yet. Oh, boy. You got an hour? I've come that you might have life. And I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to go around looking for rocks to pick up. I'm not going to go around and look for somebody I can hurt. Somebody I can criticize. It would do some of us some good if we check up on our conversation. And when we find ourselves finding fault, being critical. Some people have to find fault over everything. Don't you get mad at me. Don't you throw no rocks at me. It's time that the church was the church. It's time that spirit-filled people act like spirit-filled people. And we preach it, and we teach it, and we shout it, and we sing it, and we've got the greatest thing in the world, and let some something come along, and we're down in the mouth, we're grumbling and complaining, and we don't know what we're going to do if this keeps on. Listen, God's grace is sufficient. Be the church. Put a smile on your face. I can imagine how this woman felt. But I'm speaking to someone here. You've been brought before the judge. But most of all, the devil's judged you and criticized you. The devil's put you down. The devil's thrown at you and he's used people to hurt you. And and, and the past haunts you and the past haunts you. Put it under the blood. Forgive them. You say, I don't feel like forgiving them. You don't have to feel like forgiving anybody. You just volunteer to forgive them. I choose to forgive you. And there's nothing you can do. I saw the cross and the switchblade. Sister Judy, you can come. I saw the cross and the switchblade the other night. I'd never seen the whole, whole movie. Of course, you know it's the story of David Wilkerson when he went to New York and Pat Boone plays the David Wilkerson part. And Nicky Cruz, that, that gang leader, looked right in the face of Nicky Cruz. He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut you up in piece after piece after piece. And David Wilkerson said to Nicky Cruz, he said, yeah, and every piece will fall to the ground saying, I love you. That woman, she was free. She was free. And we've got people out there by the millions. They're not free. See, what am I going to do about it? Tell them the truth in love. The Bible says you'll know the truth. That's what the world needs to hear. 
They don't need to hear my criticism. They don't need to hear me talking about what they are and what they are not doing and the lifestyle that they're living. They, but they need to hear the truth. I don't need to preach hell sounding like and acting like I want you to go to hell. I need to tell the truth in love. And then we've got those that will preach love. Oh, and leave off the truth. There's no freedom. 